Fostering Connections. I'm Nicole. And I'm Angie. And we are bringing this podcast to you from the Salvation Army Children's Services, Foster Care and Adoption Services Agency in Pennsylvania. We have a good topic for you today. Control. Parents want it. Kids want it. Too many times wanting it turns into power struggles, tantrums, and tears, sometimes from kids and parents. And listen, we know parents have to have control over their children. That control ensures their safety and well-being. Right. But what Angie and I want to remind parents of this is, for kids, trying to have control over their activities and decisions is an important part of them developing independence. And that's true for all children, including children in foster care. But for children in foster care, striving for that control has a deep connection to the fact that they've been impacted by trauma. Some versions of controlling behavior by children that foster parents might see are things like a child frequently challenging things you ask them to do, a child acting like a parent to younger siblings or bossing their friends around, and a child who's having extreme reactions to being told no. We're going to cover a few things that will help you understand why foster children need control and how you can give them what they need to help them be willing to give up some of that control to you as a parent. I want to start out by making sure you know that this perspective on helping deal with control issues comes from Trust-Based Relational Intervention, or TBRI for short. TBRI is a trauma-informed, evidence-based parenting intervention that helps us understand more about the needs of children who have trauma in their history. TBRI calls these children, children from hard places. TBRI shows how these needs show up in children's behaviors and how by helping meet their needs and begin to heal from trauma, Caregivers will see improvement in children's behavior and be able to build healthy and productive relationships with them. Our agency believes, and we're far from being alone in this belief, that using TBRI is the best way to care for children in foster care. We train our families to be able to use TBRI with the children in their homes and have several staff who are TBRI practitioners. Because TBRI is so important, we'll talk about it at greater length in future episodes. For now, we just wanted to give you a quick introduction to it since it's going to be an enormous help to you in addressing controlling behaviors. If you're interested in learning more about TBRI right now, you can visit the Facebook page of our Fostering Connections podcast, where we'll be sharing some links to resources and videos, and you should definitely subscribe to this podcast. Next, let's talk about what it is about having been through trauma that makes our kiddos seek out control. First, children come into foster care because of a wide range of experiences. Their birth families struggle with addiction, homelessness, poverty, mental illness, domestic violence, incarceration, and things like that lead to incredible instability and anxiety for children. These family issues often lead to abuse or neglect, which ends up with the children unsafe at home and being placed in foster care. Even being placed in foster care is a trauma for children. They're removed from everything they've ever known, often very suddenly, taken from their homes by strangers and placed into a strange family's home. For these kiddos, life before they came into care might have been scary and stressful and uncertain, but coming into foster care adds a whole new level of uncertainty and feeling like everything is out of control. If a child's life is out of control, it makes absolute sense that they'd be trying to control anything they can. And I think that's an important part to remember, this controlling behavior we see from some foster children. Once you know why they're doing it, you realize not only is it normal, but you understand that this control feels very necessary to them. 
And then you can start to understand why when you try to be a parent and tell them to do something like eat what you made for dinner or clean up their toys or get dressed, you are getting pushback from them. It looks a lot like defiance, but remember, there's a need behind that behavior. And TBRI tells us that when we meet that need, we can change the behavior. I want to go over that part again, Nicole, since it's really important. Whenever you see a negative behavior coming from a child, remember that it's happening because the child needs something. As an adult caring for a child, it's our job to figure out what that need is. The children themselves don't always know. Think about a toddler who's getting fussy and a little unmanageable. Why are they behaving that way? They could be hungry, they could be tired, they could feel unwell. And as their caregiver, we try to figure out which of those things is causing the fussing. If it's near nap time, for example, they might need a nap. If it's been a bit of time since they've had a meal, they might need a snack. If they don't need either of those things, maybe they just need some cuddling or extra attention. It can take a bit of detective work, but once you can meet the child's need, the behavior will change. And remember, even if a child is older and verbal, they might have a hard time explaining or knowing what they need. You still might have to do the detective work to understand what need is causing negative behavior, even in an older child. In the case of children's need to be controlling, the need behind that behavior is that they need to be heard, they need to feel safe, they need to know that they're going to have what they need to survive, and they need to feel like their lives aren't out of control. The biggest thing that foster parents will do to meet the needs behind controlling behavior is they'll make the children they're caring for feel safe. And feeling safe, to be specific, is very different from being safe. Think about going on a roller coaster. You know that you're safe, you're all buckled in, you've seen it carrying hundreds of people safely, but once you're on it, you don't feel safe, you feel scared. It's the same for foster children. They come to your house, it's a safe place. They may even cognitively know they're safe, but they're gonna need a lot of support from you before they feel safe. And until they do feel safe, they're going to work really hard to control their environment and the people within it. So how are you going to do it? How are you going to make a child who hasn't been given a lot of reasons to trust adults, hasn't had a lot of proof that life is welcoming, that he's going to have more good days than bad, feel safe? It's going to be simpler than you think, but it's going to take time and consistency and commitment. You're going to have to prove he's safe over and over again. Back to the roller coaster. The first time you ride it, you're probably more than just not feeling safe. You might be a little terrified, but if you ride that roller coaster five, 10, even 15 times, you'll find that the terror starts to fade. You start to feel much safer. You might even loosen your incredibly tight grip on the safety bar and put your hands in the air. That's what we're aiming for with our kiddos. We want them to let go of their fierce grip on things and just be kids. Throw their hands in the air and enjoy the ride. To make your foster child feel safe, you're going to show them that they can trust you, that you're a predictable adult who will meet their needs. This comes down to creating healthy relationship building and connections. That reminds me, Angie. Folks are going to want to check out our next episode, which will feature one of our TBRI practitioners, Laura Aursler, talking to us about the importance of connection. Oh, yes, that's definitely a can't miss episode. Laura really has a gift for talking with children and establishing trust, and I'm really looking forward to her sharing some of her insights with us. In the meantime, one tip we can give you for building trust is to start saying yes. We parents spend a lot of time telling our children no. No, you can't have dessert first. No, you can't stay up late to watch a movie. No, you can't cut your sister's <laughs> hair. We need to take every opportunity to say yes to them too. 
By saying yes, we're saying that we hear them. They have a choice. Their needs and wants matter, and we are going to meet those needs. We can't say yes all the time, of course. That would be really irresponsible parenting. But we can be aware of how much we're saying no and try to say yes more often. You can say yes to letting them pick out their own clothing, even if it means what they're wearing looks like, well, like a child dressed them. Say yes to a snack before dinner. Say yes to one more book before bed. Say yes to staying at the playground 10 more minutes. You can even create opportunities to say yes more by using a yes jar. A yes jar is a great TBRI tool. Um, a lot of the families that go through our agency have one in their home and use it with their children. And what a yes jar is, is you take a jar and you fill it with things that you don't mind your children having, like maybe a toy truck, maybe a granola bar, some healthy snacks, small toys. And you tell the child, whenever you ask for something in this jar, I will always say yes. You can't go into the jar and just take something on your own. You have to ask me first. But I promise you that every time you ask me for something, I will say yes. So make sure you put things in there that you never mind your child having. But if your child comes up to you 15 minutes before dinner and they say, can I have a granola bar? If you've put a granola bar in that jar, then you say to them, yes, you can have a granola bar. The idea behind a yes jar is that the child goes through this process of asking you for things from the jar several times a day. And every time they do, you say yes. And you're fulfilling that promise you made to them that you would say yes every time they asked you. And fulfilling that promise over and over and over again to them reinforces that you're a person who is predictable, a person who can be trusted, that they mean what they say. And that goes a very long way to building connections with your child, to building trust with them, and to letting them feel like they can let go of a little bit of the control they're trying to wrangle away from you as a parent because they are starting to believe that you are going to follow through on the things you say and that you are a safe person to be with. And please check out our Fostering Connections Facebook page for more information about Yes Jars. We'll have um, a link to some helpful videos about them so you can learn a little bit more. So sharing control with a child will also help build trust. Give lots and lots of opportunities for children to have control. Offer them options. Ask for their opinions. Once you begin to practice this, you'll find that you can even give them control in ways that have them give up some control. So for example, if your kiddo has trouble with transitions, like if you're at the playground and he is really resistant to leaving when it's time to go home, instead of abruptly saying, it's time to go home, you can give a little of the control to your kiddo and say, would you rather go home in five minutes or have some extra time and go home in 10 minutes? Your child chooses 10 minutes. And then when those 10 minutes are up, because you gave them some control, they will be more willing to follow your instructions when you tell them that their 10 minutes are up and it's time to leave. We're not promising that the result will be a child who is happy to do something they don't want to do, but you will have a better response from them if they feel like they are a part of the decision making. Besides helping your child feel safe and begin to trust and connect with you, Sharing control helps you avoid power struggles. Power struggles are when a parent tells a child to do something and the child refuses to do it. The parent then works really hard to make the child do what they're told. It's important to remember that it's actually pretty hard to make a child do something they don't want to do. A parent can scold, yell, threaten, give consequences, but if you're trying to make a child eat their dinner and they don't want to, 
I'm here to tell you that there is absolutely no appropriate way to force a child to eat. I remember when my daughter was about four, her dad and I were so excited to have her try a kiwi. She took one look at the small chunk of kiwi that we offered her and she rejected it. I didn't know all the things I know now about power struggles and control and inflexible parenting. And what I did know, I forgot during the frustration and exasperation of trying to get her to eat that bite of fruit. And I don't know why, but for some reason, my daughter trying the kiwi became incredibly important to me. And I broke out all of those traditional parenting tricks, bribery, coaxing, telling her she couldn't get up from the table until she tried it. Nothing worked. She ended up crying and I ended up irritated. To this day, my husband and I refer to that as the great kiwi incident. My daughter doesn't remember and still turns her nose up at kiwis. The old school parenting ideas and those who are bound to them, like folks with authoritarian parenting styles, are going to find themselves, especially in the case of parenting children from foster care, in power struggles, unless they learn to share control. Here's another way to share control. Oh, this one's a classic. I bet most parents have had experience with this scenario. Okay, so you're about to head out on an errand. It's cold outside. You tell your child to put on their coat. Seems simple, right? Well, today your child doesn't want to wear his or her coat. They say no. And because we're parents, and because there are children, and we love them, and want them to be warm and safe. And we don't want the general public to think we're terrible parents who let our kids outside in the cold with no coat. Right, because we definitely have an image to <laughs> uphold. Because of these reasons, it can feel really important to us that our kiddo put on their coat. We have a few options here. One, we argue with the child, giving them all the important reasons they need to wear a coat, appealing to their sense of logic. That one might work. You're right. It might work with a child who doesn't come from a background of trauma. A child who doesn't feel like it's a matter of extreme importance that they have control over their own lives. For a child like that, they're not going to be swayed by your diplomatic skills <laughs> and you'll end up with an argument that could escalate into a meltdown. Another option would be to just put the child's coat on them. What do you think would happen then? Well, for a child who's been raised in safety and stability, who trusts their caregiver, it might go fine. They might just believe that it's safe to allow mom or dad to take care of them in this way, and you can head out on your errands with your bundled up little one. But it's probably not going to end the same way for a child from hard places. Yeah, no, probably not. What's more likely to happen is that the kiddo puts some significant effort into physically resisting your attempts to get those little arms into sleeves. You could end up with them performing such classics as flailing, falling limp to the floor, hitting, crying, yelling, running away, hiding. And someone, either you or the child or someone or something else that's in the vicinity could end up getting hurt. Or at the very least, incredibly frustrated and possibly so sweaty that no one wants to put a coat on anymore. And a third option is that instead of even telling your child to put on their coat, you hold their coat out to them and say, it's cold outside. Would you like to wear your coat or carry your coat? Now you're giving choices. Either choice is fine, and the child knows that if they wear their coat, they're the ones who decided to do it. It was an option they had. If they carry their coat, that's fine too. If they're cold because they're carrying their coat instead of wearing it, they're going to be okay. And not only are you giving them choices and empowering them, giving them some control over their lives, but you're setting them up with an opportunity to make good decisions. If they choose to wear their coat when you go outside, you can say, 
hey, it's really pretty cold out here. Choosing to wear your coat was a really smart decision you made. If they choose to not wear their coat and they eventually say that they're cold, you can ask them, well, what do you think you can do about that? That gives them an opportunity to decide to put on their coat to be warmer. Then you can congratulate them on their good problem solving. This option does so many positive things for your child. It tells them that what they want matters. It avoids a power struggle. It teaches them decision-making and problem-solving skills. And it builds some really healthy connection between the two of you. Another huge benefit of sharing control with your child is that you raise a child who becomes a teen who has had a lot of practice making decisions. As they get older, our kids have so many opportunities to make decisions when we're not around to guide them. If you've shared control with your child and given them practice in developing their decision-making skills, they'll be more capable of making good choices. And in the end, that's really what we hope for our children, that they grow into competent, responsible adults. And that once they've left the nest and don't have us there to point them in the right direction, we'll have helped them develop sound judgment and confidence to help themselves find their way. So remember, having control over our child might feel like a win for the caregiver, but the real win comes from having a connected, trusting relationship with your child and for children from hard places, helping make sure our parenting methods aid in their healing from trauma. Thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. And don't forget to check out our Fostering Connections Facebook page for more resources. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time.